0: of the success story podcast. Thanks again for joining me today. I am sitting down with Vanessa Van Edwards, who is a behavioral investigator with uh, Science of People and author of Captivate, the science of succeeding with people. She's also a body language trainer specializing in science-based people skills. She runs Science of People, a human behavior research lab in Portland, Oregon, where she studies charisma, influence, and the power of body language. She has been featured in Entrepreneur, Huffington Post. Uh, She's uh, written for CNN, Times, Forbes, Fast Company. She teaches online courses. Uh, She has conducted a set of experiments on TED Talks, presented research at South by Southwest. Uh, Her lab conducted research on the TV show Shark Tank. Um, She's also uh, the author of books Human Lie Detection and Body Language 101, as well as Do I Get My Allowance Before or After I'm Grounded? Um, So she's done a ton of stuff, very interesting work. Thank you so much for educating us, joining us. And uh, tell me a little bit about your story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. You went deep dive in that bio, too. I was like, did I do that? I don't even remember that. So that was, that was wonderful. I'm so honored and happy to be here.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Um, it's an incredible career. Uh, the work you do is, is very impressive. Um, how did you get into this? What's, you start from wherever you want to start, high school, before high school, wherever. <laughs>
1: Sure. Well, I, I feel like I should start with a confession and it's definitely the, the most important part of my story, which is I'm a recovering awkward person. Um, so I have always been that that kind of just right off beat. You know, I always felt like I was missing a memo. That was always the way it is. I think it's still that way to some extent. Still in film recovery. And that was the kernel of my career. So um, I actually love to study charismatic people and also not very charismatic people. And so um, I'm obsessed with, What makes us charismatic? What makes leaders a leader? Are we born that way? Can we learn it? And the good news is I think that we can learn it. And that is my life's mission is teaching people how to more authentically and naturally be be charismatic. And I don't believe you have to fake it till you make it to get there.
0: And when did you realize that this was something that you wanted to go into as a profession? Because a lot of people don't feel comfortable growing Mm -hmm. up. That's very normal, but not, not everyone pursues it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what I, I always was a personal itch, right? So like in high school and college, I I had this horrible thing where I would break out and hide when I got very nervous, which doesn't mean you marry many friends in high school and college. And so I was studying people skills to make myself more confident. And um, I began to create these frameworks or blueprints. I'm not very naturally good at conversation. I'm not naturally good at reading body language. And so the only way that I know how to read people and read conversation is to literally create frameworks and blueprints. And so I would create these little uh, post-it notes and I would write down little formulas. Like for example, I would observe at a party that um, when someone raised their eyebrows, they were usually even more intrigued and were about to go deeper. And that was like a little framework that I learned, that that was a really, that was like an, almost like a nonverbal um, door opening. And so I was like, okay, eyebrow raise is a nonverbal door opening. And so I would look for it in conversation. If I stumbled upon an eyebrow raise, so let's say that I was saying, oh, you know, this weekend um, I just started um, to hang out with my daughter, hang out with my husband. I started a little kitchen garden. Oh, kitchen garden. I was like, oh, okay, that was something that was something and so i knew then okay that was my door opening and like yes a kitchen garden i'm trying to teach myself how to grow my own herbs. have you ever gardened and they'd be like yes in fact i'm taking and so i came up with these little formulas that i was using and then i started to document them on my website because at that time i was doing a lot of writing and more and more people were like hey can i have that framework Hey, can I have that blueprint? Hey, how does that conversational hack work that you posted last week? Do you have a video in in action? So then I started doing YouTube videos and little did I know that most of us do not understand relationship operating systems. And if you're very engineering minded or if you're very, um, I like black and white, I like formulas. Mm -hmm. If you think that way, you want that for people. And actually I think that you can have Relationship operating systems for people. And so that was when I realized that maybe I could create this I can make this into a career and um, Who knew it would be as successful as it is?
0: and When did because you mentioned you were writing a lot and you started to mm-hmm. uh, codify some of these systems and these things that you observed in your, in your life and it turned into your career is that the inception of science of people or is this just like a casual blog that you just started and it eventually morphed into Science of People? So when did this, like this uh, Science of People actually happen?
1: Yeah. So that was actually, I, I started Science of People with the intention of trying to um, make this into a business. And so we, I officially started Science of People in 2011, but i had been writing and casually blogging since 2007. So, um, it it took about five or six years of dabbling in a couple of journalism things. Um, I was doing a lot of youth coaching at the time, so um, I was actually teaching some of my principles to teenagers and teenagers on the spectrum because I realized that this framework, the way that we read faces, the way that I teach body language is actually extremely helpful. And so, that was actually the kernel where I realized how helpful, how game-changing some of these frameworks could be.
0: And was this, and just help me understand, is this like uh, something that you had to go to school to, to practice? Is this, is this a degree program? Or is this something that's just evolved over time? And you're just really good at it?
1: There is no degree for body language, sadly, because if there was Man, I would have loved to have taken it. Um, The closest thing to what I do is maybe a combination of psychology and sociology. Uh, While I took both of those in college, I went to Emory University, I never actually majored in them. And so everything I learned since then is this weird combination of neuroscience, behavioral economics, psychology, sociology, and sort of a mix of the two, and a little bit of body language as well. So there is no degree program yet, hopefully there will be one, that is this weird intersection of all of those disciplines.
0: And I guess that's, so that begs the question, how did you, how did you start, um, how did you start Signs to People? How did you think like, this is a viable business Mm -hmm. idea? How did you commercialize your brand to the point where now you're, I guess you're writing books, um, you, other Mm -hmm. products, I guess would be courses, uh, you have like your whole social going on, um, you have people school, um, so how did that start as like, you know, entrepreneur? Yeah, go.
1: (laughs) So so funny, a funny, a funny story is that um, my parents are both lawyers. And so when I was in college, my mom, I was I think I was home for the summer or home for a break. And she said, I signed you up for a financial class. I was like, great. I'm so excited to do that on my break. She said, I am a lawyer and I'm paid by my hours and I don't want you to have to do that. I am constantly counting my hours. It was really hard for her as a working mom. She's like, I wanna show you another way. She said, when I was going to college, I didn't know of another way. I thought you could be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, everything was hourly to a certain extent. She said, there are other ways now. So she dropped me off at the, I think it was the LA Convention Center, I grew up in Los Angeles, and it was a Millionaire Mind seminar by T. Harv Eker. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, yeah. So, So it was a Millionaire Mind seminar, it was like a weekend seminar. And this seminar completely blew my mind because he introduced me to the concept of passive income. So at the time, I believe I was 18 or 19. So it's very young. And um, he explained that there is this other way of earning income. that's not just based on your hours, that books and products and courses and or very powerful active income, which is like speaking or training or teaching. And so from that age, I knew that I wanted to create a career with passive income streams. And so in from 2006 to 2011, I was trying all those ways. I hadn't found one that worked, so I, I was um, doing a lot of active income youth coaching. I had a, a youth workbook that I was selling, which was a passive income stream. I had my first book, which was published by uh, Penguin at the time, and uh, that's the one that you mentioned, Do I Get My Allowance For After I'm Grounded? Very long title. Don't recommend that, by the way, if you're writing books, shorter titles are better. Um, And so I had these very small little revenue streams, and I I could see how it was working. Like, they were very slowly paying the bills, but still most of my income at that time was coaching and consulting, which was very active. Once I figured out, you know what, there's something broader here, more than just the niche of working with youth and parents, I think these frameworks could be used by engineers at companies. I think that C-suite would love these. I think that um, uh, coders and graphic designers would love to have people skills in their back pocket. And at the time, I believe it was 2011, 2012, I had just started the website. Uh, Udemy, which was a new online learning platform, mm-hmm. was just starting. And at that time, it was all for engineers, it was almost all like technical classes, a couple of accounting things on there. And so I thought that's my ideal person, right? Someone who's super engineering-minded. And so I said, I'm going to upload a body language course to Udemy as a passive income stream and just see what happens. So I filmed in my living room. I had no professional lights. I literally had all the lamps in my house. I had a $28 microphone that I had bought from Amazon that I like weaved through my shirt and like pinned on my little blouse. And for three hours, I just taught the body language frameworks that I had been using. And I was like, okay, my goal was 30 sales. I was like, if I can get Thirty sales of a forty-nine dollar course. It will just be major game changer. Thirty sales. So I go to sleep, and it takes at the time it took about twenty-four to forty hours for them to approve your course. So I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and my inbox was filled with thousands of sales. Thousands. Ser-
0: Seriously, so the first the first time you up you uploaded the course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The very first time I uploaded the course. Wow. Wow. About, I think now. I wanna say I'm at like 376,000 students hmm. in, in that course. Um, in my living room, it's, it's still the same course. It's me in my living room with no lights, with a, a mic that probably didn't even work. And by the way, the entire thing was filmed on my phone. The entire course is filmed on my phone. That was the first time where I went, hmm. Maybe there's something here. And so um, I, I'm rethinking very,
0: what I'm doing for a living now. I'm not, <laughs> the, the wheels are
1: turning. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was like madness. And so in a wild it was like the Wild West. In, in six months, I completely changed everything that I was doing. I filmed four more courses and this time and every course got a little bit better. Uh, by the last course, I actually was with a little small crew. Them, I put them on the on the platform. They were selling like crazy, uh, very quickly. Requests started coming in for me to speak at companies, and the reason why it worked, I think, is because this was a platform where my people already were. There was already engineers, and coders, and accountants on there learning online. This was the only soft skill course. There, I think, there might have been one or two others, and so people were like, ah something new. And what I heard was my students kept telling me, you're my lunchtime course. They would watch these other very serious courses during the day, but I was their break, their lunch, their dinner break, and they would buy every single course that I put out. And so that's when I realized, okay, like I can be the, the soft skill balance to the hard skills and I can teach soft skills like hard skills. And that was in 2011, 2000. And I think 2012 was when I finally cracked the Udemy game. Yeah,
0: the, the, very impressive. Congratulations. Seriously, that's, that's incredible <laughs> success. Like, and, and like, you know, you got the content, timing platform, um, and it just took off. That's really, really impressive. I had no idea, seriously, that this was, <laughs> this is how you sort of built your own brand, your entire company. Um, the reason I was asking about education was sort of alluding to why I was also, so I, I'm just blown away by the fact that you put this on me and it took off. And my point is, or my question is, is there anything else like this out there that teaches people for fifty bucks? I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's great content because three hundred thousand plus people have I haven't taken the course yet. I'm gonna go check it after we finish this call. But
1: take it. It's so old. If you want to take a course, take my newer one. It's I'm so little and <laughs> so old. Oh
0: gosh. No, but the yeah. point is three hundred thousand people can't be wrong. Let's let's be honest. Like that's that's some that's some social proof that the course is pretty, pretty right. damn good. So so is no one else teaching this stuff or you know are there just the people that charge the tony robbins five thousand dollars for ten thousand dollars at the competition
1: right okay so i think it was critical it was definitely good timing right so it was very good timing that this was before the wild west of online courses right like 2012 people were like online what like people kind of knew what it was but it was very new and so the timing was really good the other thing was there are a few other at the time there were a few other people teaching soft skills or body language, but they were doing it in a very traditional way. It was very traditional. So they would be hired by a company, they would come and they would do a two day sales workshop Mm -hmm. and that was it. You couldn't access them otherwise. You couldn't even hire them as a coach. Maybe you could hire them as a dating coach, but no one had thought, in fact I had other people tell me, you can't teach body language online. You You can't teach body language in a video. Um, and so that was actually hard. It was, it was hard to move the content into video format. Um, but I think that being willing to try, readers and students were like, yes, I don't want to attend. People also don't want to attend a two day workshop where they have to role play with their colleagues. Yeah. My person, so I think it's also really important to know your person. My ideal student is a super high achiever, above average intelligence, usually very technically-minded, recovering, awkward person. They do not want to do a role-playing workshop. They do not want to have to go to an HR webinar on uh, here's how you smile at someone. They want to learn on their own time. And so that means, and this is one of the reasons why I almost exclusively teach on video, is if they want to speed me up 2.5 speed because that's how fast they learn, cool. I'm not offended. Great. Do it. If they are like, no, I want to actually pause the video and absorb it. We have a lot of our students who say, I learn in chunks. I have to, I can only do 15, 20 minutes at a time. Cool. You can consume my content however you want. And so I think it was also critically important to know that my ideal student didn't like the way that a lot of my competitors were teaching. And I
0: want to, I want to sort of unpack what you teach a little bit more, um, Sure. Before before we go into that, because there's 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 entrepreneurial lessons and then there's very tactical lessons that you, you teach over that I kind of want to tease out and, and, and run through some of those and understand some of those. Um, but before I migrate off, like your career path, was there anything else like notable in your career path that you think would be good to chat about? Or was this is this kind of the summary of, of where you've been?
1: So, yeah, I think that was so that was the first part. And the second part was I try to go to where my students are. So I try very hard to go to other platforms or other podcasts where my students are. So from Udemy, I went to Creative Live. So my next group that I wanted to meet was a different audience, was a highly creative audience. Artists, photographers, who are super creative but hate selling. So that was my next group. So I, I hit my engineers and my, and my amazing computer geeks in Udemy, and then I wanted to hit my creatives. And so Creative Live was where they were all watching online content. And so I cold pitched Creative Live. I was not invited to speak there. I had to bang on their door. And I cold pitched them in the most creative way I could think of. I sent them an email to their support inbox that said, I want to make you money. And then I outlined all the ways that I thought my course could make them money and it got forwarded internally. I didn't know this until later. It got forwarded internally and bounced from department to department to department until it finally hit the right content producer who was willing to take a risk on me. And they brought me in to San Francisco. So this was a very different way of filming. They bring you into San Francisco, you film your course, and we took a risk. It was, uh, we did my first course was a three-day course, and it was one of their top-selling courses across their entire platform. And so I've done four more courses for them. That is a different audience than my Udemy audience. And so I think that one of the major things is that I've tried to do over the last you know 15 years is go to my people, know who my people are, one, who are my people, and then um, try to meet them where they're at.
0: It's, it's all very smart entrepreneurial lessons, to be quite honest. And it's just incredible that I'm not sure if it's it comes naturally to you or it's through trial and error. I'm sure like any entrepreneur, there's a lot of trial and error and a lot of times where yeah. it hasn't gone so well. Um, For sure. all, you know, everything you're saying is right on point with how you, you know, that product market fit, finding your ideal customer profile, bringing that product mm-hmm. to that customer, meeting them where they're at. That's all like, this is like sales one oh one and totally and, and it yeah, and, you, and it, it works and, and you, and you nailed it. And, and I guess, so just to tee up in your career, um, yeah. so, you know, you've done Udemy courses, you've done uh, creative, uh, live courses, um, you mm-hmm. have three books now, is that correct?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, two self published books, one failure and one success. Okay. Uh, and um, I'm very honest with those kinds of things. I think we, ha- we don't talk enough about our failures. So one failed self published book, one great self published book, and then um, two traditionally published books, one failed traditionally published book, one successful traditionally published book. And now I'm working on my third traditionally published book. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it was Udemy to Creative Live. And then I finally created my own platform. So at that point, my audience was big enough and I had been working very, very hard to get people over to my platform. So even though I posted a course on Udemy, I had lots of incentives for people to come over to Science People and sign up with me. So by that point...
0: each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform. Accounting, finance, the works. One data source for everyone. costs are ridiculous lately find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team it's a no-brainer and that's what NetSuite offers over 37,000 companies have figured this out already you have to join them right now through to April 15th NetSuite's got an incredible flexible financing plan Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.
1: A couple thousand people who were just with me and I thought, okay, now I wanna create some of my own courses because then you don't have to give up a share. You're in complete control of the content. Um, And that's when I began working on my first self-published book. I started with my second self-published book. And then that um, got me a traditionally published book deal.
0: Very impressive, congratulations. That's that's a very fun, interesting career path. I've never really spoken to someone fine. who's... Sorry?
1: It's been a ride. It's been crazy. And, like, I never would have been able to predict this as a path. And, by the way, all throughout that, I've been doing corporate speaking. So I've been doing corporate speaking since the very beginning. My, my first corporate event was in 2008. So, um, and that's just has been, my fee just grows every year. I had a great mentor once tell me, I said, am I charging the right amount? You know, these speaking events, you're kind of making it up, right? And he says, you're charging the right amount if you get no 50% of the time. Like, in other words, that's too expensive. And so every time I get more than 50%, less than 50% knows, I raise my rate.
0: That's smart. That's smart. Very smart. Um, So let's, so do you want to speak about lessons from Captivate, or do you want to speak about sure. lessons out of your new book? It's whatever what yeah. do you think is more relevant? what, what do yeah, you feel like talk. you're talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah, let's talk about Captivate. So I, I, here's the one um, study that really kind of I was like, oh, there is a book here. So I don't know about you. Scott, were you popular in high school?
0: I was like mid, middle, middle of the pack. I wasn't middle. like the most popular. But I still played some sports that has some clout in high school, so it was mm-hmm. good. But uh, I wasn't like the uh, the one where I didn't have all the parties, right? Like the person at okay. the parties and the person who was like the best on like five different teams and got the varsity like sports. Oh, okay. dad. I wasn't that. I was I was okay, getting okay. there. Was-
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. So you're right. You're average. Okay. Got it. Middle middle of the range. So I was yeah. not popular and. Um, I was painfully not popular, and um, so this study intrigued me more than any study I've read in the past couple of years, so much so that made me want to write a book about it. This is a study done by Van Sloan, and what he wanted to know is why are popular kids popular? Mm -hmm. So he went to a couple of high schools, and he, uh, this is a couple thousand kids, and he gave them all very, very long questionnaires trying to figure out what variables are the popular kids and not popular kids. First, he had to figure out who are the popular kids, who are the kids that people say, that they knew the most, or they liked the most. The second thing that he tried to figure out is, okay, okay, here are the popular kids. What is different about them? And so he looked at all the obvious variables. So, what, what, what do you think? You, you actually mentioned one of them. You said sports. Right? Sports, so,
0: um, uh, outgoing, perhaps. Outgoing. So personality. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. It depends. I think it depends on on the dynamic of the school. It could be a school. Uh, for example, I was in. Um, uh, an IV program. Uh, so people that were mm-hmm. extremely smart in some classes okay, were, you know, yeah. Um, so
1: so we got sports, so athleticism, sports, yeah. um, extrovert, outgoing, yeah. um, intelligence, uh, GPA, IQ, or SAT scores. And then another one that people often get is attractiveness, right? Just like the, the, yeah. the most handsome students, the prettiest students are the most popular. So none of those four predicted which of these students are the most popular across multiple high schools. The one predictor across all the schools that accurately predicted which kid was the most popular was that that student listed the longest number of people that they also liked. In other words, when he asked all the students, who do you like at your school in your grade? The popular kid had the longest list of people that they liked. And when he observed them in the wild in their hallways, he noticed that the least popular kids didn't acknowledge anyone, and this could be, by the way, lots of years and years of bullying or years and years of training. They walked down the hallways in their own tunnel, their arms crossed over their chest with their notebooks in front of them, not saying hi, not smiling. The most popular kids, and this is a facet about going that you mentioned, but actually the most popular kids weren't necessarily extroverted. Some of them were introverted. They typically said, hey, Ralph. Hi, Joy. David. Hey, Sarah. They were the first greeters. So when they walked down the hallway, they didn't have a problem acknowledging and saying hello to someone first in their classes, in their hallways. This was such a relief to me because it made me realize that we are in control of how likable we are. And that for some reason, especially as adults, we withhold our liking as a self protection mechanism, that we're afraid to be the first likers, right? We don't want to say to a colleague, hey, it's been so great working with you. We, we should hang out on the weekend, because we're terrified they're going to be like, uh, no thanks, ugh, gross, weird, ugh. So what we do is we, we play it cool. I call this professional ambivalence, and it's the killer of any kind of rapport building in the workplace. Professional ambivalence is like this. Yeah, hey, Karen, yeah. Yeah, good weekend. Yeah, pretty good. You? Yeah, cool. No one engages too deeply. No one gets overly excited. Heaven forbid you get overly excited. No one invites first, you know, and I also think this is because people are just trying to play it safe. And so my entire goal with Captivate is that you are in control with your chari- of your charisma. You're in control of your likability. And this doesn't mean inauthentically going and liking as many people as you can, but it does set you up for a very different mindset, which is, and this is totally different in the way that I operated in the first. 15 to 20 years of my life, which is how can I like more people, mm-hmm. not how can I be more likable? And so once I discovered that and I started going to conferences and networking events and podcasts, was the only question in my mind was, how can I like this person? How can I like this person? Which was the opposite of what I've been asking myself for 20 years, which was, how can I be more likable? How can I get them to like me? How can I get them to like me? And that was a game changer in my interactions. And so, Captivate every chapter is a layer upon layer of how to be more likable through liking others.
0: That's that is a game. am just you know, as you, when I do these podcasts, I think about like sometimes the lessons I'm learning and might apply them to my own life. And that's that's uh, that's huge. That's that's a huge, huge, huge mental shift.
1: It, it, it's it's a game changer, and especially for all yeah. my all my my high achieving listeners. All my high-achieving listeners, I just want to say this to you now, which is you are so worthy. You are so worthy of also being liked, not just respected, but also being liked. And a lot of my high-achieving folks, they feel like all they've searched for their entire career was respect, really great test scores, great GPA, great transcript, great university, great job, great title. And those are all really impressive, and they get a lot of respect but there becomes a point in their career where they realize they have a lot of respect, but not a lot of rapport. And so what I wanna say to you is you can have both. You can absolutely be both respected and liked, and that actually can get you ahead faster than just respect alone.
0: And let me ask you, let me ask you this, because there's so many lessons, of course, there's a whole book on it. So that's it, it's silly to try and go into all of them on, on this podcast. I told you we're going to run out of time because I have questions and we're, we only have like 10 minutes Hello? left, and, <laughs> but that's good. We'll have to do another one or I have to read the book or whatever. But anyway, so say say the, the secret, the key is um, is to reframe your mind so that you are trying to like others, which in turn will increase, you know, that that end goal of, of being more liked. If you've lived your whole life in apprehension of saying hi first, it could be very difficult to take that first step, right? It's Mm -hmm. not like somebody is uh, comfortable saying hi. It could be for some people they're comfortable saying hi, they just don't. But say somebody literally has like this gripping panic attack when they're walking in the hall and they see their CEO or they see maybe a less intimidating figure or whatever. They see a peer, they see anybody. How do you get over that? That first step to say hi
1: first? Okay. So saying hi first is actually a little bit of intermediate. I would say it's intermediate, right? Like that's from cold to warm, Mm -hmm. right? You're walking down a hallway, hey, right? So that's the intermediate. Before we even get there, I'm actually going to give you an easier one. And I want to teach you a couple of my favorite phrases for warmth. So these are like things that you can just drop into a conversation, which is a little bit less scary than the cold open. And they sound like this. So if you're already talking to someone, you're already in rapport, you're having a good conversation, you're having a good video call, here's a great phrase if you genuinely feel it. Never use these phrases if you don't genuinely feel it. One, it's always so great talking to you. That's one where you're already warm, you just had a laughing moment, you just agreed about something, and, you're, and in your body and in your mind, you were thinking, man, this is good. Mm-hmm. The way that really likable people do this is they immediately share that. They don't withhold it. They don't pretend to be ambivalent. So you have a laughing moment or you have an agreement moment. You go, ah, oh, yes, I always love working with you. We are always on the same page. It's a really nice way to put a stamp on the momentum. It's like, we just had a good moment. Let's like double down it. let's highlight it. So it's always so great talking to, to you. And then the other thing that people, every human being wants, I don't know if you've ever read Dale Carnegie, had it when friends and influence people, she's, but um, when I sat down,
0: Oh, he, he's at a shot. He's he's on my he's on my shelf. It's Let my me favorite. see him.
1: Let me see my oh my good friend Dale. Yeah, love, one of my it.
0: favorite sale okay. books. Yeah.
1: Okay, so so what, just a little behind the scenes is um, when my editor from Penguin Random House um, approached me to write a book. I said I want to write a book like How to Win Friends and Influence People with Science. Okay. And so Captivated was actually pitched to my publisher as How to Win and Friends and Influence People with Science. Like that was, one of the, that was one of the titles we were bouncing around. So Captivate was taking everything in that book and seeing, is there any science here? So one of the phrases that Dale Carnegie uses so brilliantly is to be interesting, be interested. It is this famous phrase. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do we do that in a very practical setting, right, in a professional environment that's, like how do you grok that? Here's how, very specifically, here is my little hack for this for all my professional listening. Anytime someone says something interesting or you're having an interesting discussion or you're having an interesting conversation, highlight the lack of ambivalence by saying, man, that's so interesting. You're so interesting. That was so interesting. I always have the most interesting conversations with you. When you just say that, you're actually giving someone the greatest gift, which is telling them they're interesting. No one likes that more. And it goes back to that original phrase of to be interesting, be interested. And so I use the word interesting as freely as I possibly can to anyone who's piqued my interest. I literally dole it out like, you know, how Oprah gives out cars. It's like, you're interesting, you're interesting, you're interesting, if I feel it, right? I never do that if I don't actually feel it. But actually, you'd be surprised when you're looking for the opportunity to say that, how many more times you hear it. It's amazing that just looking for it makes you want to see it more, and then you do see it more. That's my secret way of getting you out of ambivalence, too.
0: <laughs> I I love it. No, that's um. Listen, I I I don't have much to add on because I just think that it's just very like it's it's so it's common sense when you start to understand it and you start to say it. But I just find that these these small little tricks and hacks for this interpersonal communication, it seems to escape us all the time. And you mm-hmm. run into these very awkward situations. You don't know exactly how to act or you're having a great conversation and all of a sudden it goes stale. And mm-hmm. as you're teaching me this, as you're saying this, as you're saying, you know, just you say you're interested, just, you know, reinforce that moment. Say you enjoyed the conversation, it's so simple. Like it's not a complicated thing mm-hmm. to understand. Yeah. But if you, if, you, if you think back to the last conversation you had, how how impactful would it be if somebody had said that to you right and just think about the feelings and the emotion you'd be getting if one of your peers said that to you and it's like it gives me like chills a little bit like it's silly to say but yeah. like it's it gives you a good feeling it's like a really good feeling
1: it actually gives you dopamine so the reason oh, that i have okay. these chemicals so behind me <laughs> yeah so so that's so when we when I talk about interactions a lot of times in my with my classes and my courses i talk about the chemical reasons behind why things work but we can do them more purposefully, And so exactly what you said is like, oh, it gives me chills. That's actually the feeling of dopamine. So dopamine, very simplified. It's a very complicated little molecule, but it um, gives us pleasure. It makes us feel excited. It actually makes us feel motivated. It, makes us, it drives us to want to do things. So when someone says, oh, it's so fun talking to you. It's always such a pleasure speaking with you. No way. That's so interesting. When I say those phrases to you, your body's like, like, oh, reward, reward, reward. Dopamine, 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 and your body produces this chemical, which makes you feel like, yeah, I got this. And so the problem when I do all these corporate workshops with professional ambivalence is that it makes us feel slower. It makes us less motivated. It makes us burned out. It's why we hit career plateaus and career ruts. I just did a training on how to beat burnout. And they're not things that you would think of. And a lot of them come from a lack of dopamine in our relationships. And so, the more that we can do these tiny things, it's like giving someone just a hit of the chemical they need to feel driven.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. Okay, I have a couple rapid-fire professional.
1: Yeah, ready. Questions
0: before, um, before we uh, before we go. Uh, okay, so. Go get captivate, because that I'm oh. not every book that gets talked about on this show. I actually am interested in, but this sounds really, really exciting. What's the next book? Right. What's it about? Is it? Can you talk about what you're doing or no? I, is it still?
1: I can't talk about it yet. Oh, but, okay, um, all right. <laughs> it, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. Um, my my hope is it will make you uh, see things you've never seen before.
0: All right, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay, um, rapid fire. Rapid fire questions. Uh, let me, let me, uh, let me see. What would I like? Oh, where do you go to learn and stay on top of things that are happening in your world in entrepreneurship and behavioral psychology, science, whatnot?
1: Psypost. P-S-Y-P-O-S-T. I freaking love their new research. It's how I keep up with all the latest research.
0: And do you have um, any particular books outside of um, our friend Dale uh, that you would recommend besides your own that you that people should uh, go check out? Excuse me.
1: If you like these topics, anything by Daniel Goleman is just uh, you know, amazing if you're more on the entrepreneurial, um, like business mind, like a lot of how uh, sometimes I teach how these psychological principles work in advertising and marketing and my opt-ins and my funnels. I use all these principles in my funnels. I use them all in my lead magnets and my opt-ins and my website optimization. Then I, you know, I love, um, Eric Reese, lean startup. I love uh, made to stick. I love anything by the Heath brothers. I believe, um, Dan Heath just came out with his own book upstream. So, yeah, I love them.
0: Good. Very good. Those are all those are all very, very good books. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'm going to put uh, I'm going to put together a couple links in the in the description along with your books as well. People check them out. Um, just, uh, link just
1: link to captivate. Just link to just link to captivate. The other ones are are they didn't work. They didn't work. Only I mean, captivate really. Works.
0: All right. Just captivate. Just uh, just <laughs> captivate. Um, what are you curious about in the world of uh, social and human interaction? What's, what are you researching right now?
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So this will give you a hint about my book. I'm really fascinated <laughs> didn't with... do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I like it. Um, I'm really fascinated with um, things hiding in plain sight. So things that we've seen a million times before, classic news events, speeches, Everything from, you know, all of Steve Jobs speeches to, um, you know, the the O.J. Simpson trial to um, Bill Clinton's testimony. We've seen them, but what haven't we seen? I like those things.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, A lesson you would tell your younger self?
1: If I could tell myself at the start of college something else, it would be to have more fun, to go meet more people. I was very awkward in college, so I didn't, you know, I didn't join a sorority, I didn't join clubs, I triple majored and stayed at home, um, so I don't know if I would have believed me, but I would have said, don't triple major, you're crazy, that's really silly, uh, <laughs> go join a club, go play some badminton, because um, I, I, I'm not athletic at all, so like badminton is like the peak sport I could possibly play, go join dance, go have some, go, go have some drinks with friends, it's okay, you're not going to get in trouble. Uh, you'll have way more fun with that than a triple major. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's good advice. That's good advice. A triple major, that's not an easy college career. But what? Um, Why did
1: I do that? Oh. I
0: have no idea. Uh, double major was a lot for me, so good <laughs> okay. Good on you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I could do one more during that, uh, and I did in five years. That's uh, not, not, nothing to be proud of, but whatever. <laughs> that's tough. That's tough. But
1: have a little more fun, which I guess yeah. is, like, is advice for everyone, right?
0: Um, and what does success mean for you?
1: Um, to me, success means feeling like you're actualizing your potential. So you feel like, you know what, today I I gave it my all and that your goals are as high as they should be, that you're not leaving anything else on the table.
0: Very good. And lastly, most important, where can people find you online?
1: So everything is at scienceofpeople.com. Um, my YouTube channel is probably the most exciting place to be. We release videos every week. I'm Vanessa Van Edwards on YouTube. And then um, Captivate, I also read my own audiobook, book, uh, which was a very fun experience. I do different voices, things like that. So uh, this is the place you can find me, and I'd, I'd love to hear from you.
0: That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify,